All right, the children have done a fantastic job today, and so we're very proud of them. And how many of you are ready for Thanksgiving? We have two days, so come on, you can get ready. Couple things before we get going tonight. Did we pass out the handouts, ushers? Did you got, go ahead and pass those out. We have handouts for tonight. Just a couple things. Um, uh, first of all, our winter revival starts this, this Sunday, and we t- I, I work really hard at not packing out our, our church schedule. Um, I want to make sure if we do things, it's, it's things that are, are vital, but um, I don't want to just take all your time. I know we got, we're busy, so when we do do things like this, I encourage you to be to every single service, and we'll have a great time, and we're looking forward. I'll talk a little bit about this the tonight to next year. We want to start making plans and just get ready to go. We've had a fantastic year. And so thank you so much for all that you have done, and we are looking forward. And I'm going to thank you for being here on an off night, uh, Tuesday night, not our normal Thursday. And so thank you for being in your place and being faithful, and so uh, thank you for that. We're going to look at <coughs> Isaiah chapter number 6, <coughs> verse <coughs> excuse me, 1 to 9, and we know the story, verse 1, um, it, it might be on your paper. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. So he has this vision. (coughs) Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. One cried to another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth (coughs) is full of his glory. The post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried. The house was filled with smoke. Then said I, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it on my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity (coughs) is taken away, and thy sin is purged. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go tell this people, Ye ye, hear ye indeed, and understand not, and see ye indeed, but perceive not. We're going to look at this portion of Scripture, and you know the story well. We'll get into it in a minute. But as I mentioned, we are are quickly approaching the end of the year. By, By the way, how many of you are starting to think time goes by a lot faster than it used to, right? They have a word for that. That's called being old, okay? Young kids are like, wow, man, this was a long year. I'm like, didn't we just have like Christmas Eve service last week? That was a year ago. But it's coming to an end. <clears throat> I always, when it, mine is a pastor, but it just in life, you know, when I get to the end of the year, I'm, I'm in next year mode. And I'm excited. I already have our theme. How many of you like to know what it is? Great. Show up for Vision Sunday and I'll tell you all about it. Um, I tell the staff, don't you dare tell anybody, not even for $20, maybe 100 But uh, I'm already ready, and I'm making plans, and <clears throat> we have some plans for some new things we're going to do and <clears throat> what we can do to, to strengthen the things. We've had a great year. We went over the numbers on Sunday, and they were just phenomenal, record-breaking numbers really in our church. Probably the best, I, I can say that's the best um, fall program we've ever had. And so I'm getting ready. But... As individuals, when you get to this time of year, I think it's in your note, (coughs) people start thinking about making changes, right? New Year's resolution. 
people are thinking, what can I do next year? What can be different? By the way, that's a scriptural thing. God wants us to change. God wants us to constantly change. He wants us to be working on our lives. But why is it that people start, they pick this time of the year to start talking about making changes in their life? Well, there's several reasons. Usually there's something in our, in our, in our life that we don't like. And we kind of let it go. And, but when we get to the end of the year, it's like, aha, now here's a time I can schedule to fix that. We like that because, number one, it's in the future. And number two, it gives us hope. There's something in our life we want to do. Maybe we're in areas of uh, our spiritual life, our regular life, things we're not doing that we know we need to do. And we're like, when the new year comes, I'm going to do it. Or there's something in our life that we just want to change. We don't like it. <clears throat> we're, we're tired of it. We're going to deal with, deal with it. <coughs> people think about making certain things. I can mention some. Here's some people talk about. Be more spiritual. By the way, how many of you think that's a good goal? Yeah. That is a good goal. <clears throat> Improve in an area. Here's an area of my life that, that, that I need to work on and I need to make it better. Victory over a bad habit or a sin. You know, it's like I've been battling this thing and I know I need to fix it and I know I need to make it better and, and, and this is when I'm going to do it. Making changes to improve your health. You know, become better in our professions or our jobs. Improve our relationships. All of us can do that, right? But here's the problem. Have you ever noticed how often these things just do not take, right? I mean, everybody's going to, you know, we'll push it. We'll give you a Bible reading schedule, and <clears throat> let's read our Bibles, and you'll get started. By the time you get to the end of the Genesis, sometimes people tap out. They're not doing it anymore. Um, and it's, it's hard, but it, it, these things happen, but we need to work on them. But why don't these changes, why don't these things that we want to do, and we may even start to do, why don't they last? Here's why. I think it's in your notes. One reason is that, there is not a greater purpose behind the reasons for change. There's got to be a greater purpose. See, if it's tied to something greater, then we see the importance of it, not just from our end and our desires, but that it is really a big deal. Let me give you some for instance. Think about it. I want to be more spiritual. That's great. And by the way, everybody should want to be more spiritual. <clears throat> but that should be tied to the purpose of being closer to your God and being a good reflection of him in this world. See, if being spiritual is tied to that greater purpose, you might have a greater passion to make it come to pass. I want to improve in an area. Why? For the purpose of not becoming stagnant or content with where God has me at in life. And by the way, people get like that. I'm just content and I'm okay with where I'm at. And, uh, and, 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 and by the way, God doesn't want that. And when you become content, or, or content, I would say satisfied is a better word. But when you become satisfied with where you're at, you're really not going to stay with where you're at. You're going to go backwards. Victory over a bad habit is sin. Well, that should be tied to the purpose of just wanting to be obedient to God. Making changes to your health for the purpose of becoming healthier and having better energy to live and serve God and fulfill my responsibilities. 
And I understand when it comes to health, I always say DNA, right? There's, all of us have DNA, and that just means you can do nothing about it, all right? Some things are just in our DNA, and there's nothing we can do. <clears throat> we want to become better in our profession or in our jobs. Why? For the purpose of being more successful at what I do and being a better testimony of a Christian employee. Man, if there is one place that Christians are horrible testimonies, isn't it typically in the jobs they have? To improve our relationships. Why? For the purpose of being closer to the individuals God has brought into my life and having more joy and harmony with them. See, do you understand that when we, we tie something to a greater purpose, we see the importance of it, not just because it's something that came to my mind, because it's something that's tied to God. And God wants me to do it. And when there is a greater reason, we will place a, and here's the key for tonight, a higher priority in them, on them. You know why we want to change in certain areas or we want to do certain things and <clears throat> we end up not doing it? Because we'll say it's important to us, we'll say we want to do it, but we don't make it a priority in our life. And if it's not a priority, it's not going to happen. You know, well, we're hoping things just happen osmosis, Right? You know, well, I want to do it, so it's just going to automatically happen. Life doesn't work that way. <clears throat> In this chapter, the verses we read earlier, <clears throat> we saw the firsthand the call of Isaiah for the ministry. Really wasn't a call. It was him responding to a need for ministry to stand up and speak for God. It was the year that King Uzziah had died. And he was one of the good kings, even though God had to discipline him in his later years for his disobedience. But even though the earth, his great king had died on this earth, Isaiah is now translated in his mind and sees a greater vision of the real king. God gives him this vision. And Isaiah is uh, volunteers to serve God and it's transformed into a great servant of God. But it begins with this transforming experience that he had with God. He saw him, and it caused him to, to stop and see some things that adjusted these priorities in his life. By the way, that is what a true experience with God does. When we really understand God, it causes us to, to, to reprioritize our life properly from God's perspective, so that we can give him the proper service that he deserves. Many people struggle with that. See, worship is very misunderstood today. We talk about this worship and having this experience with God. But most of the time people are that, that they're talking about God in a mystical way. I saw God when I was in bed. That probably wasn't God. I had a dream. You had a dream. I have dreams all the time. When we first got married, my wife, and I'm not kidding, had about five dreams about me. She had a dream. I'm not making this up. You can ask her. She had a dream that King Kong stepped on me. She had a, she had a dream that I, I drove. I had an accident, drove a car over a cliff. She had a dream I was at church, and a tornado came and sucked me up. She had a dream I was on my bus route, and someone stabbed me. And I'm thinking, this woman doesn't love me. And I start checking the life insurance policy. I'm like, we need to kick that thing down a couple notches here. I'm glad none of those came true. 
Now, sure enough, on the way home, Godzilla's going to come get me. But, but dreams are just dreams. And we're, oh, no, that was God. No, no, no. God speaks through his word. If you can't tie it to his word, it wasn't of God. Well, it's a musical thing. I am so, and I get it. And, and people say it, I'm not going to pick at them. But music isn't worship. You know, the worship in the church. No, no, you're talking about music. Music, worship is a heart thing. It's ascribing worth to God. And music sometimes can do that. But you know when people go to churches and they choose it by music? Let's just be real honest here tonight. You know why they like that type of music? Because it's the same garbage music they listen to in their car. It mimics and mirrors the secular music they listen to. And you go to Sunday and you hear the same music and they throw a little wishy-washy word about God in it and it's all good. That went over real well, thanks. Worship is an emotional thing. Oh, by the way, feelings are great, but life's not about feelings. Someone says, uh, facts don't care about your feelings. And I'm glad. Sometimes I feel, I come to church, I feel good. I'm not going to sing that song. I, I feel good at church. But guess what? I'd come to church even if I didn't feel good. Because the fact of the matter is, God says come to church. And I I hope we feel good when you come. Don't get me wrong, but let's understand worship today. Isaiah got it. True worship causes us to prioritize that which is right. That which should guide our lives. Worship, look, worship that doesn't make you holier, it's not legitimate. Worship that doesn't raise our commitment level isn't legitimate. If you can bebop into a church and hear and bebop out and it does nothing in your commitment level for God Saturday through uh, Monday through Saturday, that's not worship. Worship that doesn't strengthen our faith isn't legitimate. And worship that doesn't change our living isn't legitimate. But here's the point. Isaiah had this experience, and it caused him to have the right priorities. And he got it from three different things in this chapter, and we will hurry. Number one, his priorities, (coughs) excuse me, came from seeing God. Look at verse one. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw (coughs) also the Lord. I think it says right underneath that. If we are to have the priorities that God wants for us, it starts with really seeing him. Most people, most Christians worship a fake God. Let me just lay that out there. What do you mean, pastor? I mean, we fabricate God and we see God through our lens, not his. We try to take what we want in life and try to, and the way we're living in life and mold God around that so that what we're doing is okay. If we focus only on grace so we can excuse the sin that we desire to do. I had someone tell me one time, we were at a prayer meeting years ago and, I, and, and he came in and he wanted to talk to me <coughs> and <coughs> he wanted to ask me Bible questions. To be honest with you, that was fine. I really wanted to go home. It was late. That's when we used to have it on Saturday night. And he's asking me these questions and I'm like, I smell alcohol. You've been drinking? He goes, yeah, there's nothing wrong with it. I'm under grace. And I'm like, you know better. I'm going home. I've got time for this. Under grace? I just shot my neighbor, but I'm under grace. Well, tell that to the judge. Okay? We, so we focus on, and, I, and by the way, <clears throat> I love the concept of grace. I love it. Okay? It's a wonderful 
amazing concept in the Bible as long as we don't abuse it. It's there when we need it, amen? But it's not there as an excuse. We focus on love, you know? Why? Because so we can condone the lifestyle we want to live. Well, you know, I went to a church and they just focus on love, love, love. That's great. Me too. Love not the world. Okay? You love God. There's positives and negatives with everything. Can we just... See, but when we choose, I want a God where I just choose, on, choose these things, not the things that call me to commitment. You're cutting out half of what God has for you. And so Isaiah really saw God. And when he saw God, it caused a few things. Look at letter A. He's a God who deserves our life's priorities. God ought to be first place. <coughs> Should he not? Should not God be the ultimate priority? Everything about him, seek ye first the kingdom of God? God doesn't want to be a leftover. God doesn't want to be an afterthought. God wants to be the forethought. God wants to be the front. Why should he be that? Now look, verse one. In the year that King <coughs> Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord, are we ready? Sitting upon a throne. Who sits upon the throne? The king. You see, if he's the king, then he decides what my priorities in life should be. He decides how I should live my life. Why? He's on the throne, not me. We like the throne. It's comfortable. But if we're doing that, we're, we're sitting on a fake throne. It is not the legitimate throne. The Lord is the ultimate king, so because of that, he can establish what is right, and he can establish what the priorities in our life should be. So what does that mean? Look at the little bulletin. <coughs> the priority issue is an authority issue. Right? Because priority, when you give priority, based on what God says, what you're saying is, I'm making this to priority because he is the authority. We don't want to recognize his authority. Now, we'll all say he is the authority, but are we living that? Do we really see him? Well, Jesus is my buddy. No, he's not your buddy. And I know he's a friend that sticks closer than a brother, but he's more than, a, than just a friend. He is the holy God, Lord of lords. Let's not bring him down. Okay, he's not someone you bowl with. So he is the authority. And if you are under his authority, he will have the priorities in your life. If he, if he is not your priority, we are not under his authority. So how important is God to you? Just check that out. Because that's going to be tied to how much authority you give him. Second, B, he's a God who understands our given priorities. What do I mean by that? Not only is he <coughs> the Lord sitting upon a throne, he is high and lifted up. He's not on our level. God's not on our level. He is so far past us. He knows so, I mean, you really want your mind blown? Think about the universe. It says he created, you know, he created the earth and then he's, oh, he, 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 it's like an afterthought. Oh, he created the stars also. Wait a minute, do you think about that? 
That's like a little phrase in Genesis. And do you know how vast that is? It goes forever. That's who he is. He is not on our level. Now, Jesus Christ made himself of our level to die for our sins. But he's the Lord. He is so high. He understands. Look, I love the verse there in Isaiah. <coughs> a few, a few way chapters over from where we're at. But Isaiah 55. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours and my thought than you. We can't even comprehend the thoughts of God. We all, look, I've been reading this book for 40, over 40 years. I've read it hundreds of times. Some of the passages, more than that. And I still read something like, whoa, I just got that. Come on. Say, Pastor, are you dumb? Maybe. But there's so much there. Why? Because God is so far beyond us. So he understands our given authorities. Because he is so much higher, what do I mean by that? He knows what is better for us. That's where faith comes in. God, God, I, I don't get it. And this is what I'm feeling. And this is what I think. And this is how I, I feel. And this is the direction I would take. But you know what? You know better. And I'm going to trust that you know better. You know why most people really don't live for God? And I'll move on. Because they really don't believe that living for God is better than living for themselves. That's where faith comes in. We have to believe. You know what? Look, I told you before, man, when I was a new Christian reading this stuff, I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. God really wants that? Because that's not who I am. But you know what? I'm like, God knows better. And I know if I follow it, things will go better for me. And then also, <clears throat> he's a God who is worthy of honor in our priorities. In verse 2 to, two to, four, to 4, which we read, talks about the seraphims. And, and basically their job, the seraphims, uh, this is the only place where they're mentioned in Scripture. Their name means burning ones. And it seems to me their priority was to basically... Proclaim God's holiness. Holy, holy, holy. If God is holy and God is so far above us, one of the ways we show our honor to God is by allowing him to run our lives. We're honoring him. Our lives should honor God's. What we try to do is think, okay, Lord, I know what you want, but I'm just gonna bring you what I want. Right? That's, that's typically, I, I, we've all done that. Like, I, I, you know, Lord, let me, just, let me just bring this to you. And I'm not even talking about physical things. It can be things in our life. It's like, you know, this is what I'm willing to do. This is what I'm willing to. And we think that, you know, that's what I've decided to do. And so God, just take it or leave it. Don't think that whatever we offer to God as worship must be accepted. Because if it doesn't meet his holy demands, it will not be. How did that work out for Cain? Abel, in the process of time, the verses are there in Genesis, Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock. What did God want? God wanted what Abel gave, okay? But unto Cain, verse five, in his offering, he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth and his countenance fell. He's all good with bringing the offering until God said, no way, man, that's not what I want. 
And then all of a sudden, he loses his, his Christianity. He loses his attitude, and it led to murder. We can't just drop off to God. We honor God by saying, this is what you want. This is what you get. That means we honor God by letting him determine the priorities of my life, and here's the key, and by following those priorities, right? Didn't Brother Spazino just preach out on Sunday? Follow me. What did that mean for those men? Stop doing what you're doing. Give up your profession. Leave your home. You follow me and go where I am going, and I will lead you to where you should go. That's what he wants for us. Secondly, <clears throat> this naturally leads when we see God, priorities come from his statement of self. Statement of self. After seeing <coughs> all of this and having this vision, verse 5, then said I, woe is me. Because he had a proper view of God that led him to make some statements about himself. You see, we really don't understand who we are until we understand who he, who he is. That's why a lot of us are content to live a, a sinful type of lifestyle sometimes because we really don't understand who God is. But when we understand who God is, we try to, we try to up our game, I guess. That'd be the way. We, try to, we try to like, you know, Lord, you deserve more. And he saw that. How did he see that? He saw letter A, that we are tainted by our sin. He says, woe is me, for I am undone. And he uses the, his, the, his lips. <clears throat> of course, when he, he's cleansed, it mentions his sin and transgressions are, are, are forgiven. But because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the king. When he saw God, he looked at himself and said, whoa, whoa, whoa. I fall short. Now, can I just say this? That is not to condemn us. It's to help us, right? God's, God, God understands we're sinful beings, and he wants us to work and deal with it. The only time he's condemning us is when we're not getting the message, and he has to come a little harder at us. We're being willingly disobedient, right? But look, he understands us, and we need to understand us. Woe is me is the only <coughs> proper response to the holiness of God. And he mentions his unclean lips because Matthew tells us, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Why, does, why, why would we think about our sins when we see how holy God is? I think you have a, a, th a thought there. It's to help us confront our wrong desires in action so we can change them, not just to condemn us. So that's what God wants. God understands who we are, but he wants us to work at becoming more of what he wants us to be. And when we do that, we can draw closer to him. But if we're not willing to work on the sins in our life, and we can tell we're not close to God when we don't notice those things. <clears throat> when you're close to God, you see your imperfections, right? It's like looking in a spiritual mirror, right? You just... And God just amplifies it. He uses the word of God as a mirror to show us our imperfections so we can work on them, so we can confess them and we can get it right. But that only comes when we see him. And letter B, it also shows that we are to be touched by sanctification. So he sends one of the seraphims and they have, he has a, a, a coal in his hand and he touches his lips and he says, um, 
Thine iniquity is taken away and thy sin is purged. See, God wants us to be cleansed. God wants us to be changed. God wants to work on those areas in our life. I have a little phrase down there. Salvation is the start. Sanctification is the journey. Once we get saved, God's not done with us, right? Not song, God's still working on me. Uh, I'm not singing it because that would be very hard for all of us. Uh, to make us what we're supposed to be, and stars and Mars and all that stuff. But God's working on us. Still, that's called sanctification. You know how long that process lasts? Until you're buried and dead. Why? Because we're never going to be perfect, but we can get farther down that road. And God wants to work on us. Sanctification is where I become more like Jesus Christ and less like this world. It shouldn't be the other way around. If I'm a Christian and I'm just as much in the world in my lifestyle as I was before I got saved, take this in the spirit which is given, something is brutally wrong. We should be, now, we're all at different levels, right? You know, depending on when you got saved, we got, you know, I've been on that, I've been on that road a little bit longer. But I ought to be able to look down that path from the day I got saved and said, I've made progress. And I have progress to make, but I'm making progress. Some people look and it's like, I'm in the same place. That's not God's plan. See? Again, I said God's not showing us our sinfulness to condone us. Part of sanctification is us dealing with that and growing as a Christian. And so, do you see yourself the way you should? Do you see yourself from God's perspective? That'll help us shape our priorities. Because like anything else in life, without Christ, our priorities are depraved. And we're going to default to things that aren't important. That's just how it works. But with Christ, our priorities change and we start to move towards that which is eternal. Lastly, <coughs> his priorities came from a solicitation for others. So he, he saw God and he got that perspective of God. It caused him to look at his life and get a proper perspective of himself so he can change the priorities and become what God wants him to become. That naturally leads to the third thing, others. Others. <clears throat> God's, not, God's not polishing trophies, right? I mean, you know, Y'all win these trophies and you keep winning your kids and you get married, throw them away. It's just, you know, no one cares if you won volleyball tournament when you were in seventh grade. You know, if you're 50 and you're, I won a volleyball tournament when I was in seventh grade. Um, thank you. That was good. I'm glad you did that. But, but God's not polishing trophies. God's preparing servants. That's what it's about. You saw me. You have a relationship with me. You understand who I am. You now understand who you are and you're allowing me to work and mold you and, and clean up your life. Now I want you to get out and help others. That's what he's doing. How did that happen? We see the verses. <coughs> we'll, we'll look at the verses in a minute, but here's the thought. The New Testament makes it clear that we are to be his messengers, his agents to get the message across. He wants us to reach out to others. How did that happen? He shared with 
Isaiah a few things in the things that he shares to us. Letter A, there's a need for workers. The, he, he says, Isaiah, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? He's just asking the question. There's nobody that'll go and, and send this message and, and do this work for God. Who will do it? That's a good question. Who's going to do it? I, I, I Look, I mentioned, we've mentioned a lot, and I'm not trying to beat a dead horse. We've had a fabulous year. We started so many ministries. So many people are coming. This place is packed on Sunday, and it's easy to say, well, you know, everything's going good. Let's just status quo. No way, status quo. No way. I am, I am tired of building program. I can say that now. I am over it. Okay? I mean... I thought we were doing pretty good. Now we got to get a new gym floor. You got $100,000 sitting around. You want to pay for it? Call me. I'm here. And, and, and I'm done with it. I'm, ho I'm almost hoping one day it's like, we need to knock a few walls out around here. Now, you don't like that. Neither do I. That came out of my mouth and I'm like, no way. But I'm in. If we're reaching more people. Say, why? Are you no. Man, I just, I, I love the people that are coming and God's working in their life and walk around this city. Everywhere you go, people, people, people. And, and <coughs> they, have, they have no purpose in life. They have nothing going on. They, most of them have problems in their marriages and with their children. And, and, and can we get the gospel to them? We need workers. Love 2 Corinthians 5.19. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. We're his ambassador. Let's go to this world and represent him. But there's a need for workers. What are you doing for the Lord? And I appreciate, we have so many people in this church that work, but, but I'll go over our, some new things I want to do next year, and I got others in the back burner, but, but it's like, we need to just keep growing, more workers, and let's do more work. Letter B, there must be a willingness. There's a need for willingness. <coughs> then said I, here am I, send me. Sounds like he volunteered, right? You know, Brother Esposito said he was never called to be a missionary. He volunteered. I probably should hear this too, but people are like, you know, if you weren't called, if you're a pastor and you're not called, you shouldn't pastor. I don't know if I was called for anything. I went to Bible college and my pastor said, go. I want to go. He said, did you see my high school years? They were a disaster. And, and God opened doors. And I'm like, I'll do this. I'll do this. I'll volunteer. I'll do that. I think God's okay with that. I think, I think he's okay. But, but God wants all of us to do something. We can make all these plans and have all this, you know, look, this building's almost done. It's not for comfort. That doesn't mean bring your drinks on the carpet because that irritates me, okay? It's like, uh, you know, it doesn't mean that, you know, let's, let's throw knives at the back wall, okay? Let's take care of it. But if it gets dirty because we have bus kids or kids or whatever, we'll paint it. That's not a big deal. But it, it's space. You know why you have space? You ready? So we can fill it. More people. You know, it'd be nice to have a nursery where you're not walking like this to get your kids. I mean, you can get a kid out of both sides of the nursery with, like this. 
Not in the new auditorium, it'll be nicer. But that's not what it's for. But we need people that are saying, you know what, Pastor? I want to get in on this. I want to do some things. I want to I reach people and I want to I be a part of the ministries here. And then letter C, there's a need for words. <coughs> okay? And so he tells him, he goes, I'll go. He goes, all right. And he said, and he said go and tell this people. Now, by the way, his message was not positive. The positive they had gotten, and they weren't listening, so he says, take some negative. They need a good old dose of negative. The positive comes in the second half of Isaiah, okay? And, but he said, take it. <clears throat> Guess what? One of the things we need to do is tell people about God. Tell people about Christ. It is not hard to talk about someone you love, right? I mean, look, when a guy first gets married, Man, he wants, to, he wants to show his wife off to, hey, I want you to meet my wife. Now, probably because they're all shocked that he actually has one. But this is my wife. And then you have kids. How many kids you got? I got, I got seven. You want to see their pictures? I don't want to show them their pictures now. They're like in their 20s and 30s. I mean, you know. And then, wait for it, the blessing of putting up with all the nonsense, grandkids. You know, now it's not like you want to see pictures. I got pictures and videos. They sang in church, okay? Most of them were picking their nose while they're singing, but they were here. Why? Because we love them. How can you say you love Christ and you never utter his word to someone who's not saved? I don't understand that. People have selfies, right? If you love him, you'll communicate him. <clears throat> you know, what do you communicate in your life? Selfies are, look, <laughs> I can tell you what's important in your life, and I'm meddling now, but I'll look down. Look at your social media feed. I better turn this way. I mean, if your social media feed is just you, here's me eating food. Here's me, you know, putting makeup on. And that's from a guy. I can tell what's important to someone by looking at their social media feed. That's why I don't, okay? I just don't want to look at anything. Say, Pastor, did you see what, was, what, what I put? I, I don't, Instagram, I don't. I think I still have an account. I tried to kill it and it's still there. Uh, Twitter's news, I'm in. But, <coughs> but what's the point? What do we promote in life? And I'm not saying your whole life needs to be 24 hours out on the street passing out tracks. I'm not saying that. But do you communicate Christ to this world? Do you, do, you see your, do you see the importance, like even when you're at work, of just working right and being the best person you can be so if they know you're a Christian, they're not like, hey, this person's legit. There must be something going on here. See? And that became a priority. And so the three work together. What is the priorities of our life, right? If we see God for who he is, we will see ourselves for who we are and we will see the needs of others, what they need. If we understand our sinfulness as, as Christians, we understand the needs that this lost world has. And so we have to have the right priorities. And then we build our life around those priorities and that's very important. Let's, uh, let's stand together tonight. Let's pray. Brother Brandon, can you come up, please? We're gonna need a song. <coughs> Let's stand and we will pray together.
Our Father, we thank you for loving us and we thank you for <clears throat> this story. We all know it so well. We look past it, we read it. But Lord, I hope we think about it. I pray, Father, that you would help all of us to have the right priorities. Lord, and it's something we need to constantly rework and we revisit and, and um, sometimes we just need to renew our priorities. Help us to be like Isaiah, to see you as the God you are so far above us. Lord, help us to see ourselves who we are, sinful beings that are saved and nurtured by the grace of God. And may we have a love for others that they may see you as well. Bless us now these next few days. I pray that everybody in here would have a great Thanksgiving time. Lord, that we would have great times with our family, but we would also think about you and the blessing we have in our life because of you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.